This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. The two Golden Age radio shows, Escape and Suspense, were radio's leading anthology series of high adventure and drama, with Escape airing on CBS Radio from July 7, 1947 to September 25, 1954, and Suspense continued to 1962. These two shows presented great American-made radio drama, which became the foundation for TV. Radio, as you know, is purely acoustic, with no visual component, and it relied on great scriptwriters and actors to enable the listeners to imagine the characters and the story. It was high drama, great acting, and terrific stories. As one of the shows say, all designed to free you from the four walls of today. Here we offer the very best of escape and suspense. We hope you enjoy this week's presentation. And if you do, send us a kind review for 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. And now, our two stories. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a lonely schooner sailing through the hot Caribbean night, carrying a fortune and the heedless passions of reckless men, as John and Gwen Bagney tell it in their exciting tale... The Sure Thing. Before we hear tonight's story, a brief message from the Ford Dealers of America. Over 140,000 delighted motorists are already driving the new 50 Ford. Here is what Mrs. William M. Kirby of Kansas City, Missouri who breeds the rare Sealyham and Dandy Dinmont Terrier, says about her new Ford. I think my new Ford station wagon is just wonderful. It has such style and beauty. I use it to transport my Terriers, and they love it. And, of course, it doubles as a passenger car as well. It's so comfortable and easy to handle. I've had station wagons before, but this one is the strongest, safest, and best I've ever had. <laughs> yes, we Ford dealers are swamped with comments like that. But don't take anyone's word for this new 50 Ford. Prove it for yourself. Look up your nearest Ford dealer in the classified phone directory. Perhaps you know him personally. He'll arrange a test drive in the 50 Ford. Test drive it for comfort, for power, for safety, for the quietness which is its mark of quality. Test drive it for the new Ford feel which stamps the 50 Ford as the one fine car in the low-price field. Before you buy any car at any price... Test drive the 50 Ford at your Ford dealers tomorrow. And now we invite you to... Escape! 
This way, senor. Thank you. If you would please wait in here in the president's office. Fine. You understand, senor, I have not the authority to handle the matter myself. Yes, of course, I understand. You see, a bank draft of two million dollars, it is a matter of such importance. As senor Jose Perez, the president of the bank, he is the only one. That's perfectly all right. I'll wait for senor Perez. Uh, gracias, senor, gracias. Wait. Yes, I could wait. I'd come this far, I could afford a few more minutes. It was hard to believe. Just a short while ago, I'd been ship doctor on the SS Martina, the gilded ferryboat of the Caribbean. And now, now I sat back in a comfortable chair and went over the whole thing again in my mind, just the way it happened, from the beginning. We had just cleared the Straits of Yucatan on our way to Havana when the 23-word message came that started the whole thing. Well, it's the same thing, Doc. SOS latitude 23 north, longitude 85 west, accident case on board schooner Sidon, en route Havana. Urgently need doctor. Can you board us? At all? No answer as to the type of injury? Uh, I don't get it, Doc. She's standing just off to starboard, and they still keep sending the same message. Lifeboat's ready, Doctor. Coming. Got all your gear? All set. Let's go. As we pulled away from our ship, I could just barely make out the schooner heeling to a wandering current in the growing dusk. She was a 42-footer, and from her high bow, she sloped away neatly in a sweeping sheer line to a trim square stern, the Sydney. The name seemed to fit her, aloof and aristocratic. As we pulled alongside, a huge, swarthy fellow helped me aboard. Watch your step. Uh, easy. There you are. Uh, thanks. Now, where's the patient? He's below. When'd you bring the stretcher for him? Who are you? I'm the owner, Felix O'Rouge. You can't take him off this boat. He's too weak. I'll decide that. Come on, Olson. Coming, Doc. We went below, and in the forward stateroom, I found my patient. An old man. Uh... And with him, a girl. Oh, Doctor, thank heaven you're here. He had an accident. He's terribly oh. ill. I've been so mm. worried. I... Bad shock. Pulse pretty slow. You're not going to take him away, are you? Away? No, no, can't. Easy now. Have you enough oil board to reach Havana if the wind doesn't hold? Yes, I think so. Okay. Olson. Yeah, Doc? You go on back. Uh. This man is in no condition to be moved. What about you? I'll meet the ship in Havana. We ought to be there in some time tomorrow. Yeah, but the skipper... I'll take the responsibility. Okay, you're the doc. All right, let's have a look here. Easy now. No, 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 don't try to talk. How long has he been this way? Two days. Two days? Doctor, the wound, I'm afraid that it's... Yes, it's badly infected. Who did the surgery on him? Surgery? Who probed for the bullet? Bullet? There was no bullet. He was injured splicing a backstay with a marlin spike. He was what? You see, he was carrying the marlin spike in his hand when Felix had to come about. It threw him off balance and he fell. I've dug out too many bullets not to recognize the kind of mess they make. It was a marlin spike. Yes? Well, you can yell marlin spike all the way to Havana, but it isn't going to change my report. Report? No. No bullet. Marlin spike. Marlin. Lie back now. This won't hurt. What? Just a hypodermic. No, 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 dope. I don't want it. But I've got to probe. You can't take it if you're conscious. No anesthetic. Only brandy. Doctor, give him the anesthetic. Oh, no. 
You'd like that, wouldn't you, Stephanie? You're out of your mind. Joseph, I just want to save you the pain and the doctor. Get in the brandy. But, doctor... It's his body. If that's what he wants, that's the way you'll have to have it. Now get the brandy. Oh, thank you. And, doctor... Yes? Send Stephanie away. Don't want her around me. She went away, but she didn't like it. And I got to work. For the next couple of hours, I was pretty busy. It was well after 10 o'clock when I felt it was safe to leave the old man and go up on deck to catch a smoke. Halfway up the companionway, I ran into Felix on his way down. Well, Doc, how's the old boy? Is he going to kick off? I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I think he's going to be all right. You think? What do you know? I'm only a doctor. I've done everything I can for him. Hey, wait a minute. Where are you going? I want to see him. i got to talk to him. I wouldn't advise him. Since when are you giving the orders around here? Since I came aboard. I don't want him disturbed. He needs to rest. Oh? You got any objections if I get myself a cup of coffee? No. So long as you stay away from my patient. Oh! Oh, I didn't hear you come up. You handle the wheel like an old salt. Oh, I don't know much about it. I just do what Felix tells me. How's Joseph? You've been down there such a long time, I thought that maybe... That he died? That's a horrible thing to say. Of course not. Who is Joseph? Your husband? No, I'm his secretary. Oh, then this is a business trip. In a way. Doctor, what are you getting at? Did you shoot him? Why would I shoot him and then call for a doctor out here in the middle of the ocean? I don't know. And after tomorrow, I won't care. You realize, of course, that my report to the authorities in Havana will be according to my own findings. I suppose so. I don't imagine that there's any way of changing your mind. Is there, Doctor? This is a beautiful schooner. Belong to your boss? Yes. I wonder... Mind if I take the wheel for a while? It's been a long time. Oh, you know how to sail? Ah, used to, back in Maine. All right. Go ahead. Oh... Feels good. <laughs> she sure handles like a dream. Uh-huh. Just as I thought. What's wrong, Doctor? Look at that pinnacle. We're not headed for Havana. We're headed in the opposite direction. The Sidon was racing along with sails full. But she wasn't sailing due east to Havana. The compass said she was sailing southwest. Away from Havana as fast as wind and sail could take her. I laid her on the starboard tack and started to bring her about. The sails bellied out, catching the wind as it shifted across the bow. And then, as they started to fill away, the mainmast boom swung over. Just as I ducked to avoid it, a shot rang out. I put up my hand to steady myself against the main boom and there in the wood. Right where my head would have been if I hadn't ducked was the bullet. Across the deck, silhouetted in the light of the companionway, stood Felix polishing his gun with a handkerchief. You shouldn't tack, Doctor, when a man's cleaning his gun. Cleaning your gun in the dark in the middle of the night? Yeah, I suppose it is dangerous. I see you don't like our course. I was under the impression this craft was bound for Havana. That's right, Doc, we are. Then why are we sailing southwest? Southwest? Well, that's a woman for you. You can't trust her behind the wheel of a car, and I know better behind the wheel of a boat. Oh, no, Felix, you don't blame me for that. I don't know a thing about a course. I did what you told me. Now, why didn't you do it right? If I'm so incompetent, maybe you'd better handle it yourself. Maybe I will. I didn't know what that game was. 
the lies, Marlin spite, nocturnal gun cleaning, change of course. But one thing was certain. I intended to get to Havana if it was the last thing I ever did. And to make sure it wasn't the last thing, this was one night I wouldn't sleep. I went down to the old man's stateroom where I'd left my bag to get some Benzedrine. While I was there, I checked on him. He was sleeping quietly. He wouldn't need me. I opened the bag, took the tablets, and suddenly my hand stopped in midair. My hypodermic needle, loaded with the anesthetic that Joseph had refused, was gone. In just a moment, we will return to escape. But first, a message from the Ford dealers of America. Already, more than 140,000 new owners know that the 1950 Ford is something really special. We Ford dealers know it. We want you to know it, too. That's why we invite you to test the 50 Ford yourself. From the moment you get behind the wheel, you'll see and feel quality. A finger's touch brings the great new V8 engine quietly to life, no matter how cold the weather. Before you've driven a block, you'll experience the joy of that flashing V8 acceleration and power. You'll know the quietness of quality in the motor and the sound-conditioned body. Your first touch of the brakes, the largest in the low-price field, brings a new feeling of safety and security. And try the worst road you know. See how the midship ride gives you the comfort and roadability of America's most expensive cars. Any Ford dealer will be delighted to arrange a test drive. If you don't know him personally, he's listed in the classified phone book. Call him tomorrow. Before you buy any car at any price... Test drive the 50 Ford. It will open your eyes. And now we return you to the second act of... Escape. I tore the bag apart, took everything out. But the hypodermic needle wasn't there. It wasn't anywhere in the stateroom. One of them had stolen it. Why? Use on the old man? On me? I went back up on deck. Felix was at the wheel. I knew it was futile to ask him if he had taken my needle. What's the matter, Doctor? Can't you sleep? Are you still worried about the course? See, we're sailing due east. Very commendable. Mind if I take the wheel a while? No, I don't mind at all. Keep her due east, Doc. I want to get to Havana. I watched his truculent broad back as he moved across the deck and disappeared below. The moon was as bright as day and as reassuring. And then the sail swung out, covering it, throwing the deck into blackness. That's why I didn't realize at first anyone was approaching until I saw the glow of the cigarette. I tensed myself. My hand clutched at something in the cockpit. It was a wrench. The cigarette moved closer. I waited. The sail bellowed back, and I saw her, full in the moonlight. I have to talk to you. Go ahead. Talk. I'm afraid I haven't been very honest with you. I'm afraid you haven't. I lied to you, and I realize now how foolish it was, but... Doctor, I'm afraid of Felix. Are you trying to tell me it was Felix who shot the old man? Yes, and he made me lie about it. Uh, like you lied about the course. You'll never get to Havana. He's letting you think that you're going there now, but he'll figure out something. I'm sure he will, if that target practice a few moments ago was any sample. Oh, he wasn't trying to kill you. Felix wouldn't kill you now, not as long as Joseph needs you. I, I mean... The... Well, you're not making sense again. Felix wants me to keep Joseph alive, and, and yet Felix shot Joseph. It, it was just a fit of anger, an argument. 
Felix has a terrible temper. Why, he'd be a fool to kill Joseph. Well, what makes Joseph so valuable? Well? I suppose I should tell you all of it. <laughs> it might be a good idea. I told you the truth about one thing, at least. I am his secretary. Only his name isn't just Joseph. It's Joseph Ingram. Ingram? No wonder his face was familiar. He's the big aviation tycoon. Uh, oh, but Ingram was killed two weeks ago. I read it about it in the papers. A transcontinental airliner crashed into a mountain. That's the luck of Joseph Ingram. We were on our way to Washington. He'd been subpoenaed to have his war contracts investigated. He was guilty of sin, and the public was really worked up about it. He was a singe to be indicted. And his wife, who'd put up with his selfishness and greed through 20 years of marriage, couldn't take it anymore and left him. But, but... We had got off the plane at Albuquerque to answer a wire from his attorneys. But the radio and newspapers obituaried him to death. I know. That's how things happen for him. Apparently, there, there was just no record of us leaving the plane, and they only found half of the survivors. Some of those they couldn't identify. Go on. Well, when Joseph realized that he was officially dead, he saw the way out. He'd been looking desperately for a chance to disappear, and now he had it. He phoned Felix in Florida to have the sitting ready, and we took a train down and boarded her there. Mm, I see. Well, why I... do you think I'm on this boat? Do you think I wanted to come? Do you think I wanted to leave my whole life behind? I was forced to come. I was the only one who knew that Joseph was still alive. And now you know. What about Felix? Felix is Joseph's handyman, so to speak, and Joseph owns Felix, body and soul, just like he owns everyone who works for him. And you? I saw a chance to go further with Joseph than with any other man. Mm. Then maybe the needle isn't meant for Joseph. Needle? What needle? A hypodermic needle loaded with anesthetic. It's missing from my bag. And it looks now like it's meant for you. Oh, no. Oh, no, he can't. He wouldn't... I'm afraid we'll have to be more realistic. We? If you'll forgive the pun. I'm afraid we're both in the same boat. There was desperation in her face. I felt sorry for her. She was in this mess up to her neck and she was afraid. And yet it was good having her beside me there in the cockpit. It was pleasant to be with her. Just the two of us. The moon and the sea. Well... Anyway, the hypodermic needle was the farthest thing from my mind when I took her in my arms. And then it happened. I felt the sting of it pierce my flesh. Oh, the needle, you... What are you talking about? The needle, you stuck me with it. Needle? Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. It was just my brooch. It's, it's always coming up. Brooch? Oh, oh I, I thought that... Oh, silly. Here. Fasten it for me, will you please? Yeah. Yes, of course. Why, you're shaking. Oh, it's that missing hypodermic. It has me rattled. I've got to get it back. You'll get it back. Yes, but when? How? Right now, Doctor. Like this. She used the needle deftly. In one motion, plunged it in my arm. I tried to struggle to my feet. Her face was mocking me. I grabbed for her, but the drug was warm and deadening. And after a blurred moment, I was gone. What? 
I could hear them from a long ways off. I came to slowly, then I lay there listening. I only did what you told me. You're the one who's bungled it. It's a good thing I They were both standing over me, working on me, doing everything they could to bring me through. I've to use that needle. Now you've spoiled everything. Why did you have to rush things? You want to know what the money is, don't you? Well, you haven't found out, and now maybe you won't. If you'd only left Joseph alone, but no, no, you couldn't wait. As soon as the doctor was unconscious, he had to work him over. If Joseph dies now, we'll never find out where he hid it. It's on his boat. I know that. Oh, you And know. I didn't hurt him. I just pushed him around a oh, little. Oh, that stupid temper of yours. That awful impatience. You'd think you could have waited for two million dollars. Two million dollars. Now it began to make some sense. Now everything made sense. As long as Joseph needed a doctor and wouldn't tell where the money was, we both lived. But if I couldn't keep him alive... Get on your feet, Doc! Come on, Doc, up on your feet! Felix, Edie! Since when are you getting so touchy? Come on! All right, all right, I'm on my feet. Welcome back, Doc. Now get below. The old man Edie's had a relapse. Stephanie, take the wheel. I said get below, Doc. I'm not in the mood to take orders. Maybe this will put you in a mood. He creased my chin with a short jab. My knees buckled. I swung at him and missed. I saw another one coming. This time I ducked and connected with a roundhouse on the side of his head that sent him reeling along the wet, narrow deck. I started after him. Just as the boat came about violently, heeling over with a lee rail under, I wildly grabbed the guy line just in time to see Felix thrown backwards into the sea. I whirled around. The girl had done it, spinning the wheel like crazy. I dashed back to the cockpit, tried to grab it away from her. She fought me like a tiger, but I finally pushed her off right at the boat and put her about. But Felix was nowhere in sight. We tacked around, searching for him, but it was useless. It was an accident. He's gone. You've killed him. You, you ought to be glad he's gone. Why? Well, it was either you or him. Yes, your concern touches me. Besides, we don't need him, don't you see? You know how to handle a boat and you're a doctor. You can keep Joseph alive and, until we make him talk. And when we find out where his money is, we can get rid of him. And, and sail away into the sunset, That's huh? right. Just you and me. Yeah? No, thanks. I'll play the original handout in Havana. I don't think so, Doctor. I'm setting the course now. And if you're interested, I'm a much better shot than Felix. I won't hit the boom. The gun glittered in the moonlight and she was smiling at me. And then I wasn't looking at her, but beyond her. At first, I wasn't sure. I just sensed the movement, and then I saw him. Joseph Ingram, barefooted and in pajamas, pulling himself painfully up the companionway, forcing his body to make the effort. Joseph! You wanted too much, Stephanie. My money and Felix's youth. Felix is gone. He had an accident. <laughs> like mine, I suppose. If only you hadn't been so greedy. If only you'd waited, you'd have gotten your share. Joseph, you're sick. You were such a little fool, Stephanie. In the heel of my shoe, in my cabin, is a draft on the National Bank of Venezuela for two million dollars. Payable to Barra. So that's where it is. <laughs> Thank you, Joseph. That's very generous of you. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't been watching. 
A bullet in the stomach, yet he kept coming at him, lumbering barefooted across the deck like a wounded bear in blue silk pajamas. Not so easy. She backed away from him, emptying her gun into him. But he kept coming. Not so easy. He was at the edge of the deck as he collapsed against her, his heavy arms in a death grip around her, and like a cartwheel, they spun together over the side into the inky blackness of the sea. Two million dollars in the heel of a shoe. <laughs> it was in the heel of the shoe, all right. I went below and found it. Just a piece of paper that three people had died over. Two million dollars, certified backwards and forwards, payable to bear. In just a few hours, it would be daylight. I could be in Havana by noon, back to the Martina, back to the dispensary, back to the endless round of seasick pills, hangover remedies, and <laughs> when I'm lucky, maybe a sprained ankle, or Venezuela. The choice was simple. There was no risk at all. It was a cinch. It was a sure thing. It was payable to bear. Good afternoon, senor. Sorry I have kept you waiting. Uh, you presented this bank draft for payment, senor? Yes. Are you, senor Perez? <laughs> that is right. I am president of the bank. Uh, this draft, it is quite a large sum. There's nothing wrong with the draft, is there? Oh, no, senor, it is in order. Uh, good. And you wish us to transfer this money to your bank in the United States? Huh? No. Uh, no, as a matter of fact, I wish to open an account here. Oh, but certainly. Gomez, you will make the arrangement for the senor. Uh, si, senor Paris, at once. And now, uh, uh, there is a lady, a countrywoman of yours, waiting to see you. Uh, uh, please to step this way, senor. To see me? But who? Oh, Joseph, I've been waiting so long. Senor Perez, is this the man who presented the draft for payment? Eh, uh, si, senora. But he isn't. And what has happened to Joseph? Who? Joseph Ingram, of course. Senor Perez, who is this woman? Uh, senora, I... I heard the citizen had come in this morning with only one person aboard, so I rushed right here to the bank. But you've cashed the draft. What have you done? Killed Joseph for it? Look, madam, I don't know what you're talking about. Just who are you, anyway? I'm Joseph Ingram's wife. Mrs. Ingram? Oh, well, then surely you know he died in that plane crash back in the States. He didn't, and you know it. Joseph wasn't on that plane. He boarded the Sydney in Florida. Now, look, madam, all the newspapers... Joseph are... and I planned the whole thing. Those highly publicized statements about our divorce were just a cover-up, so nobody would watch or care where I went. He phoned me from Albuquerque when the plane crashed that he'd meet me here with a certified draft. He was to meet you here. And I know he would have, if he was still alive. Senor Perez, will you call the police? I accuse this man of murdering my husband. Uh, si, senora, if you call wish... Call him, call him at once. He must not get away. I will ring for the guard, no, senora. No, just a minute. I, I, I didn't kill him. She killed him. She? Stephanie, his, his secretary. And where is she? She's dead. He killed her. Oh, this doesn't make any sense. Then where is Felix Arun? You see, Felix, he was killed when he... Yes? You see, it was... It was... That is the girl, senor, waiting outside the door. Under these circumstances, Venezuelan law requires me to hold up payment on the draft pending investigation. And, senor, it is my duty to turn you over to the police. Now, look, look, those people, I had nothing to do with their murders. Have you any proof, senor? Have you any witnesses? 
They were staring at me. They didn't believe me. Of course. <laughs> no one would ever believe me. And it had looked like such a sure thing. I was trapped on a charge of triple murder. Not two million dollars, but triple murder payable to bearer. In just a moment, a word about next week's exciting story of escape. But first, a message from your local Ford dealer. More than 140,000 delighted motorists are already driving the new 50 Ford. Here is what J.B. Spurlock, a salesman, says about his 50 Ford. Anyone who's on the road as much as I am will sure appreciate the relaxing ride of the 50 Ford. You just take the wheel and sail away for hundreds of miles, and you end up almost as fresh as you were when you started. It's not just the comfortable seats alone that are relaxing. It's the quietness of the Ford engine and the fine riding qualities, too. Actually, it feels and holds the road like a much higher-priced car. I wouldn't trade my 50 Ford for anything anywhere near its price class. We Ford dealers hear comments like that every day. But you don't have to take anyone's word for it. Just test drive the 50 Ford yourself. Look up your nearest Ford dealer in the classified phone directory. Or perhaps you know him personally. He'll gladly arrange a test drive in the 50 Ford. Then you can test drive it for comfort, for power, for safety, and for quietness. Test drive it for the new Ford feel, which stamps the 50 Ford as the one fine car in the low-price field. Before you buy any car at any price, test drive the 50 Ford at your Ford dealers tomorrow. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented The Sure Thing by John and Gwen Bagney. Featured in the cast were Anthony Ross as the doctor, Jeff Corey as Felix Arouge, Faye Baker as Stephanie, and Ian Wolfe as Joseph Ingram. Also heard were Harry Bartell, Ruth Parrott, Ramsey Hill, and Paul Fries. Special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week... You are trapped with a lovely but dangerous woman on your own island of paradise. Trapped by overpowering greed for a huge buried treasure. And from the woman and the greed, there is no escape. Next week, we escape with John and Gwen Bagney's exciting tale of a lost paradise, Treasure Incorporated. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners. 
and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply, not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a lush tropical island in the Caribbean. A paradise lost through the overpowering greed of a lovely woman and a dangerous man. As John and Gwen Bagney tell it in their exciting tale, Treasure Incorporated. Well, are you coming? Huh? You're coming with me, aren't you? What for? I feel lucky. Got a feeling today is going to be the day. You said that for months. Why don't you leave me alone? She turned away and stared out the window at the jungle. Her face was a dissatisfied mask. She had on that old faded red beach dress. She wore it all the time now. The sloppy pair of slippers. Her hair was pulled back off her neck with a piece of string. Matted. And that wry, crisp figure she'd once had was going fast. He's up there. Sure, he's up there. He's always up there. I'm not going with you. All right, all right, stay. Stay, I don't care. You're no help to me anymore. And it won't do you any good to go either. Burn yourself up in this tropic sun and for what? Not while he's up there watching. Always watching. Who are you trying to kid? You know you'll sneak up there to see him the minute I'm gone? And he'll just kick you out again. Shut up. Look at yourself. Not even good enough for that beachcomber. Shut up. Shut up! That was Amanda. And I'd once thought her beautiful. And I'd thought this island was beautiful. A paradise. It seemed a million years ago when I first told Brewer about it. All right, Eddie. So you found a pretty island in the West Indies. Now what? Oh, you should see the island, Brewer. More than a square mile of tropical paradise just as nature made it. Complete with native village and volcano. With enough money, I can get a 25-year lease. I've got it all figured out, Brewer. I can make it the best-paying resort in the Caribbean. Oh, I don't know, Eddie. There's so many resorts. What do you think, Amanda? 
sounds intriguing. Why not, Paul? Believe me, it's sure fire with a gimmick like mine. Gimmick? Buried pirate treasure. How do you like that for tourist bait? <laughs> Eddie, I'm afraid you're dreaming. There's never any treasure in those places. Oh, I know that. That's what makes my gimmick so good. I'm going to bury the treasure myself. You are? Oh, sure, nothing too valuable. Just bait, you understand? You know, old Spanish coins, pieces of eight, daggers, bits of old sea chests. Can you get that sort of thing? Oh, I can get it. I know a guy who handles antiques. He can get it for me. Well, what do you think of it? Is that a gimmick or is that a gimmick? Eddie, you're a genius. <laughs> you like it, Brewer? Well, it sounds good, but I'd have to think about it. How about a drink? Okay. I'll fix this one. Uh, Scotch all right? Oh, yeah, it's fine. Think you'll go for it, Amanda? He'll go for it. You sure? He didn't sound so positive. Relax, Eddie. Don't worry so much. I'll get your island for you. Not for me, baby. For us. Eddie, take it easy. Remember, I still belong to Brewer. That's Amanda, the kind of a woman that always gets what she wants. She got me my island. I started planning the resort. Brewer was to supply the money, and I was to be the front man. It was a great plan. It couldn't miss. But I'd figured without Clive. I'll never forget the first time I saw Clive, the only white man on the island. He was bald, but he was young. He had a blonde beard. He was sitting in a tangle of jungle wearing nothing but a pair of white ducks ripped off at the knee and some binoculars slung about his neck with a length of vine. He was painting a seascape. Hiya, Gillespie's the name, Eddie Gillespie. I've been looking over the island. I know. I've been watching you. Terrific place. Say, uh, that volcano, any chance of it erupting? No, it's dead. Dead many years. Well, well, that's a relief. Say, I'm sure surprised to find a white man here. You are? Why? Well, so far away from civilization, nothing to do. And then what are you doing here? Me? <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put this island on the map. Really? Yep. See that beat-up building down there by the beach? That once was a fine old plantation house. Yeah. Well, I'm going to turn it into a swanky hotel. Hotel? Sure. Perfect spot for it with all those palm trees around it. And a golf course sweeping up over that hill. Of course, we'll have to clean all those dirty vines out. That dock is a pretty sick-looking thing, but the harbor's unnatural. What are you looking at through the binoculars? Devil's Cove. Why? What's going on down there? Nothing. I'm painting it. Through binoculars? Why don't you walk down there if you want to paint it? I prefer it this way. <laughs> That's the tropics for you. How lazy can you get? Mr. Gillespie, after you've been here a while, you'll learn to go with the island, not try to change it. Oh, you just wait and see. When I get through with this place, I'll make Nassau and Jamaica look like Rockaway Beach. Incidentally, those natives, they dress away all the time in those faded old rags. You don't like it? Well, you got to keep it quaint, you know, as advertised. Got to give the tourists dollar value. We'll fix up the natives with bandanas and bright sashes, necklaces of coral, big earrings, baskets of fruit on their heads. Of course, they'll have to quit wearing those shoes. How about rings through their noses and a bone in their hair? <laughs> you know, I get the feeling you're not going to be very cooperative. It took me years to find a place that was remote from the world, and now that I have, I don't want it destroyed. Destroyed? Why, man, you're crazy. I'm going to do things for this island. I'll have this place humming in no time, and I'll... What's the matter? Don't you think I can do it? No, I don't, and I'll tell you why. Through the centuries, six flags have flown over this island, and each flag brought colonization and industry. 
sugar, rum, the leaves of the bay tree, but not one of them could survive. Not one of them could hold back nature, the winds, the damp rot, the jungle, the vines that creep constantly day and night ensnaring everything they touch. They couldn't do it, Mr. Gillespie, and neither can you or your hotel. No. You just watch me. I will. But if I thought you had one chance in a million to succeed, do you know what I'd do? What? I'd kill you. In the beginning, he stayed up on top of that hill of his like he owned the world. He ignored me completely until my tractors and bulldozers went to work. Then he began to come down more and more. I never heard him coming, and yet he always seemed to be around. And as I ran into trouble, wind, rain, rot, rats, I had to fight them all. It seemed to amuse him to watch me. Is your paradise fighting your back, Mr. Gillespie? Why don't you go up on your hill and stay there? What a beautiful swimming pool. A symbol of civilization. Do you expect it to last? Why, of course it'll last. Why don't you leave me alone? Be careful. It's bad to lose one's temper. The heat, you know. Yes, heat. Always heat. But I wouldn't give in to it. I drove myself. I drove everybody who worked for me. Come on, boys. We got two more hours of daylight. Get those vines out. They do grow, don't they? What do you want? Mm, I like to watch you fight them. It's such a useless task. They'll grow over you in the end, you know. Yeah? Well, I'll civilize this island. I'll show you. Go on and laugh all you want, but you'll see. When Andy Gillespie starts something, he finishes it. Before the summer was over, we cleaned away all the vines and seeded the golf course. We dynamited the harbor, rebuilt the docks, working 18 hours a day. And then one afternoon, just before the hotel was finished, she arrived. I just knocked off for the day, and I was sprawling in my hammock in front of my hut. Hello, Eddie. Amanda. What are you doing here? You weren't supposed to come until the hotel was open. Aren't you glad to see me? Where's Brewer? How did you get here? In a launch. All the way from New York? <laughs> of course not. We've been anchored at Charlotte Amelia for a week. You didn't break with Brewer, did you? I told you not to break with him until after the hotel was finished. Don't get excited, Eddie. Brewer doesn't even know I'm here. He left this morning for Puerto Rico. On a big deal. Oh. I haven't said you're glad to see me. I've forgotten. It's been so long I've forgotten how beautiful you are. Eddie... Uh, uh, look, uh, Amanda, you better go back if Brewer finds out that you've been What's here. the matter, Eddie? Are you afraid of Brewer? Of course I'm not afraid, but use your head. He financed my island. I'm going to take his girl away from him. Until I get on my feet here, let's keep everything on the up and up. <laughs> What's so funny? You and Brewer. What about Brewer? I was thinking of Brewer keeping everything on the up and up on his side. Look, Eddie, why do you think he set you up on this island? Because he wanted to own a hotel? A resort? What do you mean? It was an investment. <laughs> I'll say it was. Well, if you've got a point, Amanda, get to it. I will, I will. Treasure. That's the point. A million dollars worth of buried treasure. A million? You're crazy. That stuff isn't worth anything. I'm talking about a real treasure. The diamonds and emeralds and the pearls. The treasure brewer is going to dig up. You mean there's a million dollars worth of stuff buried on this island? Not yet. But there will be. After Brewer buries it. That doesn't make sense. Why would he do a thing like that? Oh, it makes sense. 
Brewer always makes sense. You know what he did? He bought a huge lot of stolen jewelry from an international fence. The pieces were so identifiable and so hot he was able to buy it for a song. But he couldn't get rid of it. Then you came along. Eddie Gillespie with his little island and his buried treasure gimmick. Wait a minute. He, he told you this? I was with him. We were on the yacht not far off the Azores when we made rendezvous with another boat and took the jewels aboard. And now Brewer's in Puerto Rico having the stones taken out of their settings. And when the time comes, he's going to dig them up out of your island in a moldy old sea chest in front of witnesses. Got every angle covered. All legitimate. So what? Aren't you interested? Well, if that's what he wants to do, that's his business. I've got the island and I'll have you. Will you? Amanda, what's the matter with you? What's eating you? A million dollars. I want it, Eddie. If you really want me to break with Brewer, you'll get it. What kind of talk is that? I thought you loved me. I do, Eddie. That's the point. I want us to have the money. But we'll have each other. That's not enough, Eddie. I want that million. I got a good mind that... What, Eddie? Shh, shh, shh. Someone on the brush. Who's there? Who is it? Good evening. Clive, what are you doing here? You're always sneaking around. You're getting angry again. Get out of here. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I was just thinking how much trouble can be caused by a million dollars. In just a moment, we will return to escape. Now, we return you to the second act of... Escape. She went back, and I was left to finish the hotel. But the whole thing had soured for me. All my enthusiasm for the project was gone. But I buried the tourist bait... The pirate treasure. I scattered the pieces of eight, the rusted hinges, all the old relics over the island as per plan. And then I was open for business and the tourists began to pour in. A change came over Clive. Now he set up his easel down by the dock and he was gay and gregarious and I trusted him less and less. He was up to something. And what galled me, the tourists were crazy about him. <laughs> Whatever made you become a beachcomber, Clive? Women? Beautiful women like yourself. They drove me to it. Oh, Clive, I don't believe a word you're saying, but it's fun. Where did you get him, Mr. Gillespie? He's priceless. Clive, why... Uh... I came with the island, standard equipment, along with the volcano and the treasure. Is there really treasure on the island? Well, you found a piece of an old saber yesterday, didn't you? Yes, and my husband found a golden sovereign, but I mean real treasure. Chests full of gold. And... Look for it, Mrs. Chapman. Every cove, every bay. It could be anywhere, on the mountain, in the jungle... Legend says that Captain Kidd himself stopped here, loaded with treasure from the Spanish main. He slew all the Caribs, every single one, buried his loot, and sailed away. And as legend has it, he never came back. <sighs> Just think of finding it. Then dig, Mrs. Chapman, dig. Take one of our donkeys and a pick and shovel and go out on the trail. Oh, I will. I'm going again this morning. Mr. Gillespie, I'm simply mad about your island. Thank you. Spencer, darling. Oh, oh, that's my husband. Oh, here I am, Fred. Come along, dear. I'll see you boys later. Aren't, uh... Aren't you overdoing it? I'm just being helpful. 
Adding local color. All that stuff about a legend. You didn't talk that way when I first came here. Mm, things are different now. By the way, when is your pirate coming? Pirate? Brewer, I think you called him. Days later, the brewer and Amanda arrived. I was on the veranda watching as the seaplane settled on the water. I watched them walk up to the hotel. Oh, yes. Clive was on the dock painting. He watched them, too. Hello, Eddie. Hello, Eddie. Hi. Good to see you, Eddie. You've done a great job with the hotel. Paradise. That's the name for it, all right. It's the best investment I ever made, Eddie. Well, I even read about your Al in the New York papers. You got a big spread about tourists finding old pieces of eight in an old sea chest. Ah, it was positive inspiration, Eddie. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, wasn't it? What's the matter? Don't you feel well? You look tired. You've been working too hard. Come on up to the room. We'll have a drink. He was so charming and so relaxed, I began to wonder if Amanda had told me the truth. For the next week or so, I watched him all the time. But he was just a guy on vacation having a whale of a good time. Look at him. The life of a party. Come on outside. I want to talk to you. Now, I think you lied to me. I don't think there is any treasure. Don't be a fool. Of course there is. Then when is he going to bury it? I don't know. We'll just have to wait. If I find out that you lied... Eddie, you don't believe I... Maybe you're trying to pull some kind of a double cross on me. Let's go back, Eddie. Well, if you want exercise, why don't you come out and dig with us, Brewer? I will one of these days. Oh, that's what you've been saying all week. Look at my waistline. I've taken off an inch. Why don't you come tomorrow, Mr. Brewer? It's lots of fun. I like to sleep in the morning. Oh, come on. Sure, come on. Be a sport. Okay. I'll dig with you tomorrow morning. Who knows? I might be lucky. Tomorrow morning? Eddie, that means he'll have to bury it tonight. Yeah. You'll have to watch him. Don't let him out of your sight. I waited outside until every window was dark, until the hotel was quiet. I waited and waited, but he didn't come. And still I waited until... Still up, Eddie? Clive! You might as well get your sleep. He isn't going to bury the treasure tonight. What do you mean? How do you know? Because he's already buried it. Well, you're crazy. He couldn't have. I've watched him constantly. Apparently not close enough. What about the hour just before dinner when you and the girl were on the other side of the volcano? Where did he bury it? Tell me. In Devil's Cove. Devil's Cove? Oh, there's no point in your going there now. You don't think I'd leave it there, do you? I dug it up. I know I couldn't trust you. All that talk about getting away from civilization, you know better than anybody else. Oh, I'm not going to keep the jewels. What would I do with money? Yeah? And where are they? I buried them again. You what? You ought to thank me. I'm making an honest man out of you, Eddie. You advertised buried treasure on your island? Well, now you have it. Like you said, got to give the tourists dollar value. Why? Just think, tomorrow or the day after, or next month, one of your tourists will dig it up as advertised. Clive, look, don't do this to me. If you don't want the jewels, just tell me where they are. I'll give you anything, only just tell me. And miss all the fun? Oh, no. <laughs> morning, Eddie. Good morning. Great day, isn't it? 
You're coming out the diggings with us? No, uh, no, Brewer, I've got some work to do here. Say, you look tired, Eddie. You work too hard. You ought to take it easy. Have some fun. Relax. Relax. I wondered how relaxed he'd be when all he dug up was dirt. I watched him go off down the trail with the other guests. I tried to concentrate on my work. The hotel was quiet. Everyone was at the diggings, but I couldn't think. I was checking supplies in the wine cellar when Amanda came back. You should have been there, Eddie. Oh, you should have seen his face when he found it was gone. Where'd you put it, Eddie? I haven't got it. Of course you have. I told you I don't have it. What are you trying to do? Double-cross me. Brewer! Paul, I... will take care of you later, Amanda. But, Paul, he forced me to tell him. She's lying. All right, Eddie. Where is it? I don't know. Come on, Eddie, talk. I haven't got it, I tell you. Clive took it. Clive, who's that? Clive, the beachcomber. He saw you bury it. He dug it up and buried it again. Nobody saw me bury it except maybe you. Wait a minute, will you? I tell you, it's true. Talk. Where'd you put it? Talk. Talk. It's no use. I haven't got it. You'll tell me the truth if I have to beat you. Amanda. I had to do it. He killed it. Don't worry. Everyone's at the diggings. No one could have heard it. Oh, Eddie, your face. What'll we do with him? Well, when everyone's asleep, we'll get rid of him. I'm glad I killed him, Eddie. Now it all belongs to us. I haven't got it. You mean you were telling the truth about that beachcomber? Yeah, yeah, he moved it. He buried it some other place. Because he wants one of the tourists to find it. It's part of his plan to get even with me. We can't let anyone else find it, Eddie. We've got to do something. Oh, my head. Eddie, listen to me. We've got to get rid of the tourists. Yeah, yeah, Got to get rid of them, every one of them. We waited until siesta, when all the guests would be asleep in their rooms. Then we went to the construction shed for the dynamite that was left over from blasting the harbor. We loaded it and Brewer onto a donkey and went up the back trail to the volcano crater. I pushed Brewer into the crater, planted the dynamite inside the top edge. Amanda strung the wire down the slope to a cave on the east side of the island. I went down to the cave. My island was asleep. I had my hand on the plunger. I was ready to throw it, and then I realized fully what I was about to do. With one gesture, I'd be destroying everything I'd worked so hard for. Eddie, what's the matter? I can't do it. Give it to me. No, Amanda, no! I sat on the side of the mountain and watched the island become alive with frantic, frightened people. They streamed out of the hotel, half-dressed, clutching their belongings. They tripped over one another in their frenzy to get to their boats, terrified of a dead volcano. Our threatened eruption was a complete success. By nightfall, there wasn't a tourist on the island. Even the natives had scurried away in their canoes like so many frightened rats. And there were just the three of us left. Amanda Clive. And me. How will we get the treasure? We can't dig up a whole island. We won't have to. Any man that's got that much loot stashed away will dig it up himself. You can't tell me money doesn't mean anything to him. We'll wait. And we did. We waited and got on each other's nerves. We waited until we couldn't stand it anymore. But Clive didn't make a move to dig it up. It was clear he'd never go near it as long as we were there. Our only escape was to dig. We started in systematically on the east side of the island, then the north. In the rain, in the wind, in the boiling sun. 
Christmas heater. I can't take it anymore, Eddie. I'm tired. I never thought I'd hear you say that. This was all your idea, don't forget. I don't care, Eddie. Why don't you give it up? Get away from here. What? Go and let him have it all now. So that's what you want, is it? It's Clive now, huh? You and Clive. Well, you won't get your treasure that way. I'm staying and I'm going to dig without you. I'm going to dig until I drop. It was hot. It was always hot. My eyes ached from the glare of the sun, but I forced myself to keep going. For days I'd been digging near the old sugar mill. But today I had a feeling I'd be lucky. My pick hit something hard. I dropped to my knees and furiously began to claw the dirt with my hands. But it was only rock, a big rock. I moved it aside and there it was. A pearl. One single pearl framed by the fresh imprint of a sea chest. And then I heard him from a long way off. Clive, and he was laughing at me. He was watching me through those binoculars of his and he was laughing at me. And suddenly I knew what his game was. That's why I hadn't found the treasure in all this time, because he'd kept moving it. And he'd left a pearl behind this time to tell me he'd done it. I knew then what I had to do. I had to kill him. I went up the hill by the back trail. And just at the top, I stopped and took a firmer grip on my pick. Clive's back was to me. He was sitting exactly the way he had been the first time I saw him, in a tangle of vines painting through binoculars. I crept up to him. I raised my pick and brought it down with all my strength. <laughs> but it was too late. He'd sensed me and ducked the blow. The pick had ripped through the canvas. In fury, I raised to strike it again, and my hands froze in midair as I stared at the torn canvas. It was a picture of me. And the thicket pierced my chest. Me holding a pearl in my hand and the look on the face he'd painted was horrible. The pick slid out of my hands. Here's your pick, Eddie. Take it. You'll need it. Take it, Eddie, and dig. And by the way, I had to kick Amanda out again today. Keep her home, will you? <laughs> That was months ago. How many months? I've lost count. The jungle has claimed the island again, just like he said it would. The damp rot, the hurricanes, the vines. The hotel sags on its timbers and the big front door is gone. The last wind took most of the roof. And there are bougainvillea roots growing up through the cracks in the swimming pool. The jungle has claimed Amanda, too. She's lost interest in everything. Except Clive, and he won't have her. She doesn't care about the treasure anymore. She won't dig. But not me. The jungle's not going to get me. Nothing is going to stop Eddie Gillespie. Every day I dig. Once in a while I hear him up on top of the hill laughing. And I know he's moved it again. But someday I'll beat him to it. Someday I'll find it. Someday.
is produced and directed by William N. Robson. Tonight we have presented Treasure Incorporated by John and Gwen Bagney. Featured in the cast were Frank Lovejoy as Eddie, John Hoyt as Clive, Mary Lansing as Amanda, and Harry Bartell as Brewer. Also heard were Eileen Prince and Paul Fries. Special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week... You are sitting in a cheerless gray cell, staring at the rain through the small barred window above your head, and struggling desperately to keep your sanity. For in 12 hours, you must die or escape. Next week, we escape with James Poe's seething tale of blasphemous terror and violent death. Present tense. Starring Vincent Price. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. It's no joke when an accident happens to you, and an accident can happen to you. This winter, take time to be careful. Whether you're driving or walking in traffic, be cautious. Cross streets with care. Drive safely. Keep your wits and windshield clear. In traffic, walking or driving, be careful. Be sure to join us at this same time next week when we offer you Escape, starring Vincent Price. And now stay tuned for Pursuit, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. 10 p.m. B-U-L-O-V-A, Boulevard Watch Time. Here's great new Boulevard Watch value. The Boulevard Director, only $33.75. High Panatooth Paste does both. No other toothpaste has been proved more effective for fighting tooth decay than I Pana. WCBS AM and FM, New York. Thank you for joining us at 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We try to alternate weeks with two episodes of Escape one week, followed by two episodes of Suspense the following week. New episodes of 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense are available every Sunday at noon Eastern Time. We always appreciate reviews. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.